Uh, we'll be in Daniel today, so Daniel chapter 9. So if you guys have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, turn over to Daniel chapter 9. Um, I do want to thank a couple of thank yous. Um, first, Savannah came this morning to help us with worship. Um, so if you guys are blessed, let's give her a round of applause. Yeah, that was, that was awesome of, of her. Looks like she brought a little bit of an entourage with her. So thank you guys for coming. And, um, and, and usually we do that welcome time, but, but it, guys, this is what I want you guys to do again, okay? Like when we get done with worship today, I want you guys to all bombard her, okay? And don't let her leave without all of you guys giving her high fives or whatever it is, handshakes, hugs, whatever. Make sure that she feels like she was part of the family today, all right? So she did a great job. And, and Caroline and, and Bonnie, you guys did marvelous as always. I'm so thankful for our youth. Um, God has, God's given us a tremendous gift, I think, in our teenagers. I unashamedly will tell you guys that I'm always partial to teenagers. It's not that I dislike adults. I just, my heart bleeds for, for young, for younger, the next generation. And, and I've said this from the pulpit here when we were at Deer Lake, probably starting in week one. And I really believe this, that um, so often we, at least I hear people say that the youth are the church of tomorrow. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think that's the case. I believe that the youth are the church of today, and um, I think it's, um, I think sometimes as adults, we get in the way of the church, <laughs> and if anything, we teach our kids, our, our youth can learn bad habits from old people like me, and so that's why we really do try and get our, our youth engaged and involved in, in church, so that's why we have people like Caroline up in the worship team, and, and we have people downstairs up with the children and doing different things, and um, that's why at camp this year we had, um, we have a, a youth leadership team, and we had those four people. Zach and Fuller led the boys' small group, and Natalie and Caroline led one of the girls' small groups. And I just think it's important that they, that they be out front, that they be leading, that they be involved and engaged. And so we have tremendous youth, and, and while a lot of them are here today, we, took, we actually took 24 with us to camp this year. It was awesome. We had, we had 24 youth, and then... Um, two amazing ladies, and Miss AK and Miss Becky, who came, and then me. <laughs> but we had so much fun. No, no, that's not, that's, although I'm, I'm, I'm close to busting the whip out. I, I, I don't, I don't, I think I forgot it already. <laughs> I, I, I told, like in front of like 1,200 students, me and like 40 other youth pastors had to do the whip. Um, and I'll tell you, like, two of them, yeah, it's a dance. I'm thinking it's like this, but it's not that. But there were some that knew it way too well, way too well. And my body doesn't move like that, at least not at that speed. But, um, but we had such a tremendous time, a great time. And um, it was, camp is a unique experience, youth, because you get away from a lot of everything else for a few days. And it allows you to be um, very concentrated on, on hopefully the Bible, hopefully about Jesus, but also it allows relationships here to deepen. And, you know, my encouragement to our youth and my encouragement to the parents of youth is, is that we continue to foster that. We, two, two three weeks ago, we, we, we took a little exodus from Daniel for a few, for a few Sundays, and we looked into Second Timothy 
2 Timothy 1.6, Paul is talking to Timothy, and he makes this statement to Timothy, who's, who's kind of this young guy that he's mentored, and, and Paul's in prison. Paul's, you know, he knows his time is about done. And Paul says to, to Timothy in this letter, he says, fan into flame the gift that God has given you. And I love that, like, picture. I, I, showed, I just, it's, it's been continually going over and through my head, that idea of fanning into flame in youth. I, I hope my prayer for for you um, as part of our church or, or wherever God leads you, that, that this camp experience was something that begins to fan into flame the gift that God's given to you. And, um, and it, was so, it was so fun for me. The highlight was, yes, to see them spiritually fed. I loved watching them in worship. But one of the things I really enjoyed was, was just watching those, those friendships begin to, 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 to get deeper. And um, as you can see in that little video, you can see um, a lot of those friendships and um, and so we, we just want to continue that. And, and guys, like our, our youth, um, we had, at least to my knowledge, zero problems. And I would say that's not normal for youth camp. <laughs> okay? But, but our youth are tremendous. And so, so parents, you have done a great job with your kids. And if you don't have youth, I would encourage you guys to encourage them and, and talk to the youth afterwards and get some of their their thoughts about it. All right, so Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9. We have been going through the book of Daniel for several weeks now. For those who are visiting with us, typically what we do is we go through a book of the Bible verse by verse. And, um, and I, I stood before our church last Sunday, um, and we talked, and I was claiming the last part that we looked at the first nine verses of 2 Timothy chapter 4, when Paul leaves his final charge with Timothy, and he, he tells Timothy to preach the word. And, um, and I made the vow to the church last week that my prayer is that I always come up before you preaching the word, the gospel, that, that God's word always takes precedent over me, that, um, that when you come to church, it's not you coming and getting engaged in some good worship and then listen to me tell knock-knock jokes or um, illustrations for 20 minutes and then end with a verse and that be gone. I, I, my prayer is that we just, we look at the Bible, the Bible is center stage, that, that my my hope is when you leave here, you remember very little of what I said, but you remember what God said. And if, if that's the case, if you leave here remembering what the Bible says over what I said, then it's a success, okay? And so, um, so we, because of that, because of that burden that God laid in my heart, what we do is we go verse by verse through a book of the Bible. And, and, and I believe this, if it's in the Bible, it's fair game. And I know my temptation um, in some regards would be to maybe avoid certain topics and certain things. And so if we go verse by verse through the, through the Bible, then we can't avoid it, right? And so we do that. And, and here we are in Daniel. In the first part of Daniel, the first six chapters of Daniel are awesome. Like there are these great stories that we remember as kids. Um, and then the second half of Daniel is more challenging because it's almost all prophecy. And I will tell you guys, Prophecy is not my bread and butter. Okay, prophecy for me is challenging. I don't always understand it, um, and that's okay. We just kind of mutter our way through it. But today we we kind of step back from prophecy and we get into this this. In this morning we're going to look at the first nineteen verses of Daniel chapter nine. And this this particular chapter, Daniel chapter nine, I think is one of the most um, impactful, maybe one of the most important chapters of the entire Old Testament. Next week, we're going to get into some more prophecy again. And, and the prophecy that we'll talk about next week, Jesus himself declares is the key to understanding the end times in the New Testament. 
Okay? And so Jesus himself endorses and stamps what we're going to talk about next week. But this week's a little bit different. This week isn't so much prophecy. But we get, once again, a chance to kind of peek in to this life of Daniel. So Daniel chapter, chapter 9. I'm going to read um, some verses, and we're going to just kind of stop as we go. All right, so Daniel chapter 9. And as you're turning to Daniel chapter 9, I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. And God, I thank you for, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this faith family. I thank you for those who um, sacrificed to come. Lord, I thank you for your word, how it's God-breathed, and that everything in this book is used and should be used, hopefully, for us. Lord, I pray that in the next few moments that we just um, look at this amazing prayer of Daniel. And God, I pray that you just block all the distractions in our life. Um, I pray that you allow us just to spend a few precious moments looking, reading your word. And God, I pray that it tenderizes us. I pray that it, it, it causes life change in us. And God, I pray that as we leave today, that we leave different people. So Holy Spirit, right now, begin to do a great work. Lord, not for us, but for you. So that you get all honor and you get all glory. It's in your son's beautiful and precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Okay, here we go. It says this. In the first year of Darius, the son of Asherus, he, descent, or he or by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of the reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the numbers of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Okay, so this, before Daniel breaks into this, this prayer, this is something for us to just kind of reconsider again along as maybe somewhat of a review of this, of this amazing book of Daniel. So Daniel's going through, and, and one of these things, if you remember kind of the, the key verse, at least for me, for the book of Daniel, is Daniel 1.8 where Daniel is this young boy, 12, 13, 14 years old, whatever, young boy has been taken away from his family, taken away from his culture, taken away from his home, everything, and, and, and they've, been, they've been taken to Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar begins to indoctrinate these, these youth. These are the, the best of the best, the finest. And if you guys remember that story, remember how they, they, have, they give them new names, they, they, they give them this new education, and they begin to give them a new diet. And Daniel just stops. When it gets to that new diet, Daniel says, no, enough's enough. I won't do this. And, he, and God had prepared the heart of the one who oversaw this schooling. And he goes to, to this individual. And he says, listen, I, I, this goes against my beliefs. My, um, is it possible that I just eat rather than king's food, rather than the, the, the wine and all these good things? Can I just go on this little vegetarian diet like water, green beans? Sounds awful. <laughs> That's why Daniel's way more spiritual than me, as you can tell. And this is a big request because eventually these guys, they're all going to stand before the king. And if he does not prove himself to do well, then it doesn't go well for the captain. And so he agrees to give them this little test a few days. And after a few days, they go before them and Daniel and his buddies are, are surpass everybody else. 
they allow him to do it. Eventually, he stands before the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And they, he, King Nebuchadnezzar is going to grade out all of this class. And he's going to compare it to the, to the class itself and compare it to, to the, his whole group of wise men. And he finds Daniel and his three buddies that we commonly refer to as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to surpass all of them. And, and it was in that first chapter, Daniel 1.8, where Daniel said that he purposed in his heart that he would not defile God. See, Daniel, I love that phrase, purposed in his heart. Like he decided, like he was going to follow God no matter what. And we see that played out through this entire book, right? So we get into Daniel chapter 2. He's freshly graduated a year or two probably passed. And King Nebuchadnezzar, the mightiest king probably that, has fa- that walked the face of this earth, has this dream. And he can't understand it. And he calls his wise man in. And they don't understand it. So he threatens them. If you can't tell me what it is, I'm going to kill all of you. Everyone who has this tag saying wise man will be killed. And then I'm going to take your homes. I'm going to turn them into trash dumps. And so, again, they can't, they can't rectify the dream. They don't know what it means. And so they begin to collect all these people. And the chief of the army, the, the chief who would oversee the death of all these wise men, come and knocks at the door at Daniel to tell Daniel to come. It's his lucky day. He's going to lose his head. And Daniel says to him, what's the urgency? Can you just arrange for me to meet with the king? And I believe I can tell him what the dream is and what it means. And so he agrees to that. And Daniel asks for some time. And Daniel goes and he finds his buddies. And they come together in Daniel chapter 2. He tells him that we need to seek the mercy of God. They need to pray to God to figure out what this is, what, what this dream is and what it means. And God blesses them. God blesses Daniel with what this dream meant. So he stands before King Nebuchadnezzar. He gives the dream what it means, and he's exalted, and he's promoted. It's everything. This common theme throughout Daniel is the beginning of the chapter, it looks really bad. End of the chapter, God is hero, and he uses Daniel, and things look really good. And then you get to the next chapter, things get bad, good, bad, and good. So Daniel chapter 3. We remember that story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And Nebuchadnezzar has this, um, this statue built, and he wants everybody to worship to the statue. They don't do it, and so they're thrown into the lions, or not lions, then into the fiery furnace, right? And so we see that. Chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar writes chapter 4. Chapter 5, they're handwriting on the wall. And again, Daniel prays all throughout chapter 5. Daniel chapter 6, probably the story that we all remember. Daniel in what? The lion's den. And why was Daniel thrown into the lion's den? What did he do? He prayed. Right? The king, now and at this time, it's, it's Darius, the same one that we read about in the beginning of this chapter. He, Babylon had, had fallen. The Medo-Persians had come in. They had conquered Babel, the Babylonian Empire. He comes in, and he's controlling, and, and they begin to try and unite the Babylonians that they captured and the Medes and the Persians. And so the wise men here, probably the same group that got upset with Daniel earlier, try to set this trap for him. And, and they know that Daniel faithfully prayed three times a day, every day. 
And so they, they set this trap, and they go to the, the king Darius and said, listen, why don't you make it where, they can, where everyone can only bow and pray to you for this season? And he thinks it's a great idea. It'll create some unity. And so they make this law. Darius signs it into action, stamps it. And Daniel, when he hears it, when you read it in Daniel chapter 6, when he hears about it, the Bible tells us that he returned home, turned his face to God like he always did. He didn't, he didn't hear the bad news and run home and, and change what he normally did, but he had this faithful habit of three times a day, no matter what, he would come and he would pray to God. And he did it. He remained. He continued to do it. And so all throughout the book of Daniel, we see and we know that prayer is integral. And here we see at the beginning of Daniel chapter 9, those first few verses, that Daniel, not only was he strong in his prayer walk, but he read his Bible. Now, Bible was different back then than it is today. They didn't have it all leather-bound like this. They'd have scrolls. But in there, he was, he was, it, it talks about in those first two verses that he was reading Jeremiah. You turn back in your Bible a few chapters or two, a few books, and you get to the book of Jeremiah. And here he is. He's reading Jeremiah. And when, in, in Jeremiah 25, then again in Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah has this prophecy in which the children of Israel will be conquered for 70 years. And there was a few reasons for that. One, um, they had turned to idolatry. They, they, had, they had turned away from God, and they were, they, were, they were not necessarily bowing to idols, but they had created all these things in their lives that they, were, that they were beginning to worship. One of the things goes back to Leviticus. I believe it's in chapter 25. When they had this commandment where they were supposed to farm a land for six years, and then in the seventh year, they were to rest. They weren't to plow and work the land. And that was their deal. Six years, one year off. Six years, one year off. And in accordance to that, on that sixth year, that land would produce twice as much food or whatever they were producing to withstand that seventh year of not doing it, of not farming that land. Now, again, I'm from Detroit. I don't know anything about agriculture, nothing at all. But from my understanding today, we know that, that allowing that land to rest is beneficial agriculturally. You know, we see, the, 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 the commandment that God had given them was, to, was for their benefit. It required faith, but it was for their benefit, right? And so they didn't do it. And the Bible tells us in Jeremiah that they didn't do it. It wasn't just like they took one year off or two. For 490 years, they rejected this commandment of God. So finally, God is going to judge them for it. And so for 70 years, they're going to be captives. So, so, so Daniel is reading his Bible, right? And, and, and he knows it. Prayer is active in his life. And he comes across this, this passage in Jeremiah. And so he's reading it, and he knows 70 years. And, and this time, now, Daniel's no longer that young teenage boy that we read about in Daniel chapter 1. I mean, at this point, Daniel's probably in his late 80s. Most of his, almost all of his life, he's been held captive. But yet he remains faithful to his God. Now, check this prayer out. Verse 3 says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So he makes this preparation. This is what's, to me, I, I think, 
speaks so highly of, of Daniel. I, I read uh, a statistic this last week that said that we um, in America, the average person spends 49 minutes a day checking and answering email. Okay? So average person, 49 minutes. The average Christian spends between three to four minutes in prayer. And Daniel, like for Daniel, this was this, was this idea of short, quick prayer was not a habit for him. Like he went like deep into the prayer and his prayer was, was, was passionate. And we're going to read that as we read this prayer in a moment. Like you're, I think you'll be able to feel this passion in Daniel. But what we read here is as he's preparing, it's not like he just wakes up and boom, I'm going to pray. Like he knows this stuff's coming out. And so he makes this, this preparation that like he, he fasts. I don't know if you've ever experienced or partaken in fasting. It's not easy if we do it right. It's challenging when, when we, for, for, for some, maybe you go through this fast where you decide like you're not going to use electronics for a period of time. We, we took the phones away from the youth at camp. I don't think it lasted 24 hours. Like the kids are like, oh, please, I need my phone back. Right? I mean, um, but it's like those are, that's challenging. Like trying to figure out life without a cell phone is hard, isn't it, guys? Yeah, Caroline, yes. Back in, in these days, when it was, um, when they, typically when they would fast, they would, they would withhold from eating for a large portion of the day from sunup to sundown. Um, that's not always comfortable. There it mentions sackcloth. This idea of sackcloth, it would be a garment made out of camel's hair. Sounds pretty stylish. But it wasn't just this normal thing. What they would do is they would turn it, the garment inside out so this camel hair, which has kind of got a bristle to it, the camel hair is what would be rubbing against their body. And so it would create this, this feeling of being uncomfortable, this idea of ashes. And so here we have Daniel. like He's, he's preparing for this prayer. So let's get to the prayer. Verse 4 says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great an awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have listened to your servants. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to your kings, our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. Verse 8. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. For we have rebelled against you and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that were written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out over upon us because we have sinned against him. Verse 12, we have 
confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all the calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by our truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. And we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought our people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned and we have done wickedly. Verse 16. O Lord, according to our righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city of Jerusalem, your holy hill, because our sins, because of our sins, and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Verse 17. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his plea for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see your desolations and the city that is called upon your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of, the great, because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. I think that right there is a sermon in and of itself. I don't, I don't know if you feel that way as you read it, but I, I, I can just picture this, this Daniel just breaking in front of God. Like these, these aren't cheap words. When you look at the beginning of that, that prayer, notice like he doesn't jump directly into this, Lord, I need, I need, I need like Chad's typical prayers. Like he begins talking about how great he is. In verse 4, um, he talks about, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenants and steadfast love with those who love him. And he keeps his commandments. He, all these good and amazing, great things of God. And Daniel acknowledges all this. And he's like, God, you are just, you are amazing. I think one of the things I've beginning to learn in life is genuine, like true prayer is not easy, is it? We get so, I get so involved with other things. And it's not necessarily all bad things. Um, I've got like four amazing kids. Like they're truly like amazing blessings. Cash is like in this, he's getting trained on how to use the potty. Okay. Um, you guys remember at youth camp how like they did that pinata when you throw like that frisbee and hit the pinata and they would just erupt. Every time Cassius uses the potty, it's like a pinata party. <laughs> like he is just so proud of himself. 
it's all, I mean, he knows he gets candy every time he does it. That's probably why he's so, but like, I, like but, but life gets busy. So like our children, like parents, we know like that those, those are, um, they, they are very time consuming and it's a good thing. It's a blessing. Um, our, our jobs, our occupations, youth, you guys are like a month away from school. I know you're so excited about it, right? And so like life gets busy and you have sports and you have all these things that collide and they can pull us away. And that's why I think when you consider that statistic that the average Christian only spends three to four minutes in prayer, it's because we are, our, our calendars are so jam-packed with so many things that we maybe pray before each meal and it's like, a, Jesus, thank you for this food and the hands that blessed it, Amen. And Daniel, I, I see, like, he's just breaking. He's like, God, you are so awesome. You, you are so amazing. Like, you bless us with so many things. Like, you have this steadfast love for me, for us. And this is what can be so crippling. I'll be honest with you guys. This is what can be so crippling about Chad, your pastor's prayer life, is so often my prayer life becomes nothing more than a Christmas wish list where I sit with God and it's nothing more than, dear Lord, I need or please help me do or whatever. And listen, God wants to hear the petitions of our heart. He does. Daniel, one of the reasons why I think Daniel is such a a huge hero of the faith is you look at a man that for practically his entire life was held captive he had every excuse not to do all these things that we've talked about and read about and heard about. Like Daniel was, even like for us, we say, well, like I'm just so busy, I don't have time. Well, at one point, like Daniel's third in command of an entire empire, I'm pretty sure that made him pretty busy. Yet he still had time three times a day to pray. But he starts with this declaration about how amazing God is. And this is what I've come to realize. In our deep times, in the dark moments, when life is hard and and we genuinely really need to hear that word from the Lord, when we begin to focus our prayers on how great and how mighty God is, it begins to put those burdens of our lives into perspective. When we consider how strong, how powerful God is, when we spend that time just focusing in how great he is, it often reminds us that, yes, our problems aren't insignificant, and they they may be challenging to us, but when we reflect on how amazing God is, it reminds us that those problems aren't above God. And so he goes in there, and then the largest portion of this prayer from verse 5 through verse 15 is Daniel just confessing sin. Verse 6 I find pretty fascinating because he's, he's talking about sin. He, he uses that word we. We have not listened. We have all these other sins. You guys know that in all the Old Testament, at least of our main characters, there are only two people. The Bible records no sin. Joseph and Daniel. Now, that doesn't mean that they didn't sin. They absolutely sinned. As Christians, and we spent two weeks 
talking about kind of the world that we live in. That's why we spent some time in 2 Timothy. We, we talked about the challenges um, our nation's facing. Sometimes our view can be so consumed with what everybody else is doing and we forget about our own faults. We can almost take this this badge that we place upon ourselves and say, listen, everything that's wrong with America or because of all these sinful people, the reality is we're all sinful. Or we can blame, like, homosexuals. We can blame drug addicts. We can blame alcoholics. We can blame whatever for the fall of this. And the reality is, guys, we, we are all sinful people. And when we begin to deflect it on everybody else, it's just like the Pharisees we read about in the New Testament. God, I, I hope, I pray for us, as I've so badly desired for our church family to be just a very open and transparent, like real, authentic church, like a faith family. Like, we don't feel like we have to hide everything. Now, again, we don't broadcast. We're not having an open mic here in a few minutes so you can come up here and tell everybody all your deep-down secrets. But we're just real with each other. And just say, yeah, I, I'm not the best parent. I do mess up. I'm not the best husband. My, my marriage isn't always rose petals and wedding cake. Like, I struggle. And we don't just put this fake sense of whatever on and pretend like everything's rainbows. We get real and that's what Daniel does. He, he, he puts himself in the midst of the people, his people. And he's like, God, we have sinned. We, we have been awful. Like you sent us messenger after messenger. We ignored them. Like We deserve all this punishment. Like everything that, that has happened to us, these 70 years like, of, of torment, of, of us being captives, like we deserved it. How often in our own prayer lives, when we're in those jams of life, we turn to God and say, God, I, I deserve it. Like, I, I deserve everything that's coming. I, I deserve. He, he just says, Lord, Lord, everything that you do is fair. Everything. Everything that you do is fair. I love towards the end of that part, he says um, in verse uh, 18, he says, Oh my God, incline your heart and ear, open your eyes and see our desolations. The city is called upon your name. L listen, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you guys to underline this. It says, For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness but because of your mercy. Daniel's saying, God, we're guilty as charged. Everything that you've judged us for, we deserve. So I'm not coming to you, God, saying, listen, we've done all these things, so you need to bless us. He just said, despite all of our flaws, despite of all, all the things that we've gotten wrong, I'm coming to you out of your mercy. Let me let you guys in on a little secret. When it comes to our spiritual walk, when it comes to our relationship with Christ, 
you will never earn your salvation. You'll never, you'll, you'll never be able to stockpile enough goodness to get past the badness. It, doesn't, it will never work out evenly. We'll never get ahead of it. It's always God's mercy. It's always God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. Grace and faith. It's not of yourselves. It's nothing that you do. It's all grace and mercy. And so as we come to our Father, as we come to, to God, and we pray and we open up our hearts to him, and we, we, we spend those times just, just telling him about how great and how amazing and how awesome it is, and then we, we, we confess those issues in our lives, those things that we, we're messing up, the things that we're doing wrong, then we can come to him and say, God, listen, I don't deserve. I don't deserve these things. And so I don't come to you saying, listen, look at things I've done. Look at all the work I've done. I deserve this. It's no, God. It's your mercy. It's your love. And Daniel ends, and I love this paraphrase of his entire prayer in verse 19. He says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. And O Lord, pay attention and act. We read stories of characters in the Bible. And sometimes I think we put them on these podiums. Like these, they're so much higher, so much greater than, than we could ever be. Like there was something special, like they were, they were different than everybody else, that, that they had certain abilities that we don't have. In the New Testament, book of James, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn over there, and we're about to end. James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and James, who's the stepbrother of Jesus, who writes this book, makes this statement. It's towards the very end of this, this book. So, so James chapter 5 says this, verse 16. Because therefore, confess your sins one to another, pray for one another that you may be healed. And this is a verse, a part of a verse that we are probably familiar with. It says, The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. But read that next verse. Verse 17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Underline that in your Bibles. Circle it, highlight it, whatever. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So, Miss Kay, here's my favorite verse in the Bible. It's all of them. James five seventeen. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. These people we read about in the Bible, the Davids, the Elijahs, the Moses, the Noahs, all these people, guys, they were people just like us. There's no different. They are people like us. And these things that we read about, this, this, this heartbeat, this passion, this spiritual walk, this relationship that they had, we can have the same thing. We can experience the same power that they did. 
And one of the reasons why I think there's such a disconnect today goes back to what we've seen throughout the life of Daniel. It's our prayer walk, our communication with God. I believe this. I believe if we re-engage in prayer, I believe that if we, like Daniel, make this a thing, like we're going to do this every day. If we come to prayer with passion, like we believe and we come in awe saying, I cannot believe I'm talking to God. And if we, we, we pray to him, we, we confess all of our faults, we, we spend that time just, just loving him and his grace and his mercy, and we get wrapped up in that, I believe that God will charge us in ways that we read about in Scripture. So my prayer for us this morning is that maybe we take a look at our own prayer life. Maybe we realize that we have fallen short in those areas. We re-engage. We read his word like Daniel did. Maybe you, you might say that, listen, Chad, I just, I struggle with prayer. Typically, those who struggle with prayer are the same ones who struggle reading their Bibles. That's what prompted Daniel's prayer was reading God's word. So my prayer for us this morning is this. One of our core values for our church is that we're passionate about prayer. And I pray that that becomes more than just a slogan. I pray it becomes more than just something stated on a web page but that becomes reality for us as a faith family, but more importantly as individuals, that we become passionate about prayer. So let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for everything that you've done for us. Lord, I thank you that while we were still sinners, you sent your son to die on the cross for us that we deserve destruction. We deserve to be captives like Daniel was captive. The reality is, Lord, we deserve hell, but your grace, your mercy provided a way we could, through you, through, through faith in you, spend eternity with you. Lord, I pray that you be with us in our prayer walk. I pray that you help us to be able to manage our, our days, our calendars, so that these other things don't take priority over you, our God, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the great, the almighty, the awesome power, our creator. God, as we come to you in this final song of worship, it's a great reminder that for those who accepted you as their Lord and Savior. We've been adopted into your family. And we are your sons and your daughters. Help us to come to our Father more fervently, more passionately. We love you, God. In your son's name we pray. Amen.